Marketing Made Easy, the podcast on this episode. We don't talk about money. It's a taboo subject. We'd rather talk about sex than talk about money. But actually, it's not money that's the taboo subject. It's the emotions that sit around it. Mm -hmm. And for me, I sat in this huge cycle of guilt and shame. Now, here are your hosts from Get Savvy Club, Anna Geary and Anita Baldwin. Hello, hello. Um, Welcome to Marketing Made Easy by the Get Savvy Club. I'm Anita Baldwin and I'm here with Anna Geary. Hi, Anna. Hello, how are you getting on? Good, thank you. How are you? Yes, very good. Snowing today. So today's podcast, we are interviewing um, somebody called Catherine Morgan today and she helps women predominantly with their money mindset. So she's um, she's got a business called The Money Panel um, and her aim is to reduce financial anxiety throughout women and to help um, a million women to become financially resilient. And I think it's really interesting, the subject of um, money mindset and all of that. Now, I know you're as interested in it as I am and that it's so relevant to us that actually we're interviewing somebody else about this next month, aren't we? So Denise Duffield-Thomas, who's probably one of the most famous people around money mindset. And what I love about her is her, you know, just just kind of relaxation about it. She doesn't just talk about it. She, you know, she lives this this stuff herself, you yeah. know, about not having to work hard. So, But it's so important that, you know, we're happy to interview other people about it as well. And Catherine has got a, a great take on it, got some interesting thoughts around it, and it's a fun, fabulous interview. So let's get into it. If you're enjoying Marketing Made Easy, the podcast from Get Savvy Club, use your podcast app to rate, review and subscribe. Morning, Catherine. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. It's awesome to have you on. We've we've been trying to get you on for a little while, haven't we? But it's trying to get dates and factoring it in so that we can all be on here together. So we've finally, finally done it, which is fantastic. So do you want to just, for the listeners that don't uh, know of you already, just explain a little bit about what you do um, and who you are and how you add value to the world, I guess? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Catherine Morgan. I'm founder of a business called The Money Panel. And our mission is really clear. Like we have one mission, which is just to reduce financial anxiety in the world. Um, And we're on a a bit of a mission to impact and equip a million women to be financially resilient. Um, This very much links into the whole belief that I have in that in order to feel deserving of creating wealth, we have to actually tackle both the emotional side of money and the practical side of money. Um, So my background is I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years, but actually in my 20s, I came from a very dark place around money and I used money as a way to make me feel better about my self-worth. And I ended up in 30,000 pounds worth of debt. And I had two sort of particular light bulb moments in my life, which perhaps I can share um, on the podcast today. And it enabled me to basically get out of debt into a position now of running a multi six figure business, helping other women to feel more deserving around creating wealth for themselves. Which is just the best like mission statement to have, isn't it? Just to get rid of financial anxiety, because I've seen quite a few of your posts actually before where you just said that you kind of were just and actually from the outside looking in people probably would have seen thought of you when you're in your 20s as somebody really successful and doing great and really happy around the things that you were doing but like you said I think I've read in one of your posts before about you're just spending for the sake of spending weren't you and just buying things that make you feel uh, better rather than um, you know for, for any other purpose really. Yeah I think that I think this topic is the fact that money is very emotional yeah there's so many emotions that are wrapped around the topic of money um, you know, guilt, shame, judgment, regret, responsibility, all of these quite um, raw emotions. And most of which is because, you know, our relationship with money is formed by the age of seven. 
So actually the, the narrative... That's why I'm screwed then. <laughs> and you're all right, Anita. You come from a wealthy background and I don't. You don't. <laughs> she so the narratives that we kind of, we have around money have come from key influences around that age, you know, often parents or grandparents, as well as society, religion, and, you know, and even going back through the intergenerational wealth narratives, you know, most of the beliefs that we hold about money have just been passed down the generations. And many women in particular operate from a place of scarcity and not enoughness. And, and that for me is the key is when people don't feel worthy enough, they don't feel like they're good enough. And when we don't feel good enough, we don't feel like we have enough. And so we hear these messages like money doesn't grow on trees or I have to work hard to make money or I'm not even capable of being a wealthy woman and we don't have very many wealthy role models in society even particularly for women and so that then inflicts this kind of feeling that to be wealthy is greedy or not right in some way and so actually exploring these patterns these narratives and stories that we tell ourselves can really unlock um, lots of potential and opportunities for women to be creating more impact and value in the world and that's the key right it's like we all run our businesses because we want to share our value and our expertise to the world but for some reason we then feel very uncomfortable about receiving money in exchange for that value there's like blocks there isn't there of like you know as especially as a woman because it's not um it's not a clear there is doesn't seem to be many well there are now obviously with people like you around but there doesn't seem to be many places that you can go to get a clear path and if you've i mean my mum always used to say to me, she's married to more rich. That was like her, because she hadn't. <laughs> and that was her answer. That, that was kind of her. Um, and, and also the whole money doesn't grow on trees. and We can't afford that. was like constant narrative. Um, and then constant, and also the whole working hard to get the money. So literally as soon as I was nine, I was walking dogs for this woman down the road, which really I thought to myself, do you know what? What on earth was I doing age nine? Going, But I think I was more like a home help for this old lady because she didn't see anyone other than me all day. And I used to go and pick, get a dog every single day, like seven days a week, every day. And it, then I even used to get somebody to run the... Uh, if I went on holiday for a week then I'd used to get somebody to look after that as well so I did that for like two two years for like £1.75 for the week of walking dogs but I had that in my head you needed to work hard to get the money so then after that I tied it in with a, a paper round as well so then then it kind of although I was happy to go out and earn money I think I had that definitely had that thing of like you've got to work hard for it you've got to be out there and you've got to hustle 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 because every penny that I ever made had to come from me going and doing that kind of time for money and now I'm like really keen every time my daughter says oh I want to do babysitting or I want to do this or and I'm just going yeah you can but think about it it's time for money it's time for money and just sort of breaking that block down really of you don't mm. have to an hour's work to get an, an hour's worth of money there's there's different and cleverer ways of, of making money that doesn't take up your time but I think yeah. it's that that kind of narrative that you have isn't it that you that comes from your parents definitely I think it's about having a balance, isn't it? It's about recognizing the value and the and to you individually, how do you value time and how do you value money? Because if you think about money on its own, money is just a tool. You know, that's why we want more of it. We want more money for more opportunities to be able to do things and have more experiences and feel a deep sense of well-being. Um, but actually, money holds lots of power because we give it power through the emotions and the decisions that we use money for. So in business, for example, that the exchanging time for money is a really interesting concept, because if we don't value time, 
then often we end up just giving away our services for free or giving away our time too easily or freely um, because we don't value time as much tangibly as we would value money. So for some people, money really is about two things. It's about how comfortable you feel to give and how comfortable you feel to receive. And actually, if you're listening to this, I would almost like have two pieces of paper and write give on one piece of paper and receive in the other and literally hold those in your hands and think about what is that balance for you right now? Do you feel more comfortable to give or more comfortable to receive? And and there'll be one of those sides of the scale will be greater than the other. So if we feel more comfortable to give, then we become a financial enabler. And what I mean by that is that we become somebody who will use money to support others people's needs before our own now that can have massive consequences but it can have also have massive um, positive aspects to that too and on the other side if we're more comfortable to receive then that can also play havoc in terms of our relationship with money as well so really it's about getting that balance between being comfortable to give and to receive so that we're not sabotaging our own success and over giving for example in that financial enabler example which for a lot of women we do tend to be the financial enablers because that's that's how we've been brought up we've been brought up to be believe that we are the main caregivers yeah um, and that men are the hunter-gatherers. You know, you go right back through to British history. If you didn't have land or title, you weren't considered to have any value in society. So men were considered to be the hunter-gatherers and women were perceived to be the caregivers. So when there's that role shift in a relationship, for example, where maybe the woman is then bringing more money into the house than the man, that can actually have quite a big power dynamic shift in the household. And the reason that is, is because of genetically or generic, like generationally, we've been told that men should be the hunter-gatherers and women should be the caregivers. So understanding those patterns that we have grown up around in our relationships, in our family, um, you know, generational past can really unlock some of those limiting beliefs that actually don't even really belong to us. They're just, they belong to grandparents that have just been passed through the generations. Yeah, because one of the things um, I, I'm feeling that's happening now is actually, yes, women are more comfortable with making money, which is great, but they, they've they continued to still giving just as much on the, on the like caregiving side. So actually now they're, they are creating wealth as well, but then they're still trying to maintain the same amount of, you know, looking after the family. And so actually now they're ending up doing, they've been screwed over a bit really, because at least years before they didn't actually have to go out and make any money. They could just, um, you know, look after the kids or stay at home, you know, do all that part. And then somebody may or may not have been looking after them financially. Whereas now it's like, actually you've got to go out and make money and you've got to um, bring the kids up as well. So I think there's that, there's a shift in a good way. You can make money, but then I'm finding that people, women in particular, are still feeling that they need to also do everything. I mean, with the homeschooling thing that's going on now with lockdown, I don't, I did, literally, I've seen like one guy on LinkedIn say that he's doing a bit of homeschooling. Even then, it looks a bit like he's just doing, just took a picture of his kids happening to homeschool while, whilst he's there rather than actually being involved in doing it. And it just seems to be some, for some reason, the women have just picked it up across the board pretty much every you know everywhere that I've seen it I've not I just maybe that's just me but I just haven't seen any guys actually you know say I'm homeschooling now or I need to let that go because I'm homeschooling or whatever it just seems to be that it's women that are doing it all again and obviously they've still got their jobs they've still got everything else that they need to do as well but that is just a given that they're going to be the ones that continue and they're probably the ones that are 
making the dinner as well every however many meals we have to make now whereas I used to go out for breakfast three times up three four times a week with my kids and I have to make the breakfast or get the breakfast well they can get it themselves but you see what I mean so there's that kind of great that we're earning money but then actually we're still expected to do everything else as well rather than the balance being um leveled up yeah I think the expectations are um what we place upon ourselves um but the influence is from you know what we think others will say about yeah, us yeah exactly it's that fear of being judged isn't it that people get yeah. on social media as well fear of being judged but they get it in real life thinking that because um, you know we have a whatsapp group for all the mums that are homeschooling at the moment and it is it's all the mums in the class and that was uh, there's there's no guys in there there's no like you know it's a great support network and obviously somebody set it up way back when the when my son was first started that school in that class one of the mums created it and it's been it used to be great for one thing so that I didn't forget red nose day or the day your kid needs to go in in a yellow top. That's all it used to be great for. But since lockdown, obviously, it's been a fantastic sort of network of people to help um, homeschooling and all the different things that we're doing. Um, but, yeah, I think what I would love to hear more about, actually, is because you, you've you won awards as well, haven't you, Catherine, from, like, helping um, – because there's that whole thing as well where actually women are stuck financially because they are they're not they're not earning any money maybe they used to and then they get with a guy and then they have kids and they are trapped because of finances so you help around that don't you yeah I do I, I think what's interesting about that question about like women being trapped around finances is is being really curious to the language that we use around money because when we use words like trapped because of money we're giving money a lot of power when actually we are all in a position to make our own decisions about what we want for our life. And I'll, I'll just share a little story with you, actually, because I think in terms of um, the, the feeling of you know feeling trapped or maybe feeling like I don't know what to do next or I don't know what's the next step for me to take to have maybe the life that you're wanting to lead and create for yourself and everyone around families or your business is – I very, I very much used money in my 20s as a way to help me feel better about myself. I gave a lot of my power to money. And how this played out for me is, and I'll just sort of share a very brief story here, is when I was, um, it, when I was in my 20s, I worked as a financial advisor since I was 18. So I knew all the technical. I knew how to create wealth. I knew how to manage money. But I wasn't doing it for myself. And the reason I wasn't is because I used money as a tool to make me feel better about myself. So any time that I felt out of control in my life, I would like strangely be out of control with money. And there was one particular day in my life that changed everything. And it was on the 1st of October 2013. And at that time, I was 29. <laughs> and my second son had just been born. And I'd spent five years prior to that living out in Jersey in the Channel Islands, managing a team of financial advisors. We got married over in Jersey and then uh, flew back over to the UK and I had my second son. And when my second son was born, we almost lost him. Uh, when he was three days old, he had an infection and we were told there was a 50-50 chance that he was going to survive. And a few months later, on the, the uh, 1st of October 2013, Thomas was five weeks old at this point. And... We woke up that particular morning and he'd had a really disturbed night's sleep, wasn't feeding, wasn't sleeping, kind of making these really random grunting noises in his sleep. 
And that particular day, I had my friend coming over to do these baby hand casting sessions, you know, where you have the baby hand in clay. And um, I took my youngest son, who was two and a half at the time, to nursery. My friend came over and it was my turn to go and get Thomas out of the Moses basket in the bay window of my lounge. And as I picked him up out of the Moses basket and unwrapped his hands to put his hands in the clay, his hands were like ice and he absolutely screamed at me. And I remember turning to my friend and saying, something's not quite right. Like he's, that's really, it was a really odd cry. It wasn't like a, don't wake me from being asleep cry. It was like a, don't touch me cry, put me back in the Moses basket. So I quickly put his hands in the clay, um, put him back in the Moses basket. And I turned to my friend and said, would you mind just leaving a little bit early today? Cause I want to get him down to the doctors. So I booked the doctor's appointment, my friend left. And as I walked back over to the Moses basket to see Thomas, he was just lying very still in his Moses basket with his eyes wide open and he was blinking like every blink was slow and really painful like he almost like he had a headache and I was messaging my friend who's a nurse and I said look am I just being an overprotective mum or you know should I should I do phase when they're five weeks old you do just feel that you're probably mad because you're not getting sleep and you, you overthink everything don't you at that stage yeah. and I think because we'd almost lost him at birth there was kind of the overprotective mum kind of coming out of the play really and she said have you checked his temperature and I said well no because he's freezing cold um so I checked his temperature his temperature was like 39.9 and for anyone who doesn't have children anything that's over kind of 37 either the cow pole has to come out or something has to happen and with that, I immediately put him in the car seat. Um, I got in the car, I rang my husband and I said, I'm not taking any chance, I'm going straight down to A&E. And within 20 minutes of arriving in A&E, Thomas's, skin, uh, Thomas's condition rapidly um, deteriorated. And I'll never forget the moment when the doctors put me on a wheelchair, I had Thomas in my arms and they wheeled me straight into resuscitation. And I remember thinking, God, this is quite serious. And within about two or three minutes I had about 16 doctors surrounding us on this bed and there was one particular doctor that kept using this word sepsis and I remember thinking I think I know what sepsis is but I'm not entirely sure obviously later frantically googling sepsis what does that mean and to cut a long a longer story short he was later diagnosed with bacterial meningitis which is one of the worst forms of meningitis but because we got him in so quickly, he's now a very bright and happy seven-year-old boy and thankfully had no consequences of, um, of the uh, meningitis. But what happened for me was when I went back to work in the bank a year later after maternity leave, I was diagnosed with PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And I went into this massive cycle of overspending. Um, living in my overdraft became comfortable. And when I remember sitting in the bank at my desk and I remember sitting there thinking, I wonder how many other people feel like this about money. I wonder how many people don't understand the complicated jargon that's used in financial services. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many people have guilt and shame and judgment associated with money. I wonder how many people make decisions or, or no decisions at all around money because they're not financially educated. We're not, we don't talk about money. It's a taboo subject. We'd rather talk about sex than talk about money. Mm -hmm. There's lots of research to show that. But actually, it's not money that's the taboo subject. It's the emotions that sit around it. Mm -hmm. And for me, I sat in this huge cycle of guilt and shame. And it was like this light bulb moment had gone off when I thought, no, you know, this isn't about 
the education alone. It's not about knowing what to do with money or how to build it or how to grow your business. It's actually about understanding what is my relationship with money and how is that playing out in my thought process, my patterns and things that I'm telling myself about money. That's what needs to change first before we can actually change the outcome. Whereas most people do it the other way around. Most people think, right, I need more money. Where do I get more clients? And my life will be great. If I get yeah, more money. yeah, they put so much power back into the hands yeah. of money. And, and for you as well, I bet like the guilt and shame is probably worse for you uh, than the average person because of the job that you had. So it's like almost you're probably start telling yourself, I know this stuff. Every day I sit with people and talk about money. So what like, you know, I'm, what, why am I personally going and spending all the money? What sort of things did you buy? I've interested me. So I literally would fill my wardrobe with clothes. Oh. And, and in my 20s, actually, I trained to be an image consultant. It was my first business. I built my first business when I was on maternity with my first son. Um, and I helped women to feel better about their relationship with, with their body. Um, I ran some body shaming campaigns. Um, I built some very successful Facebook groups. And I basically helped people to understand their body shape and how they should dress for their body shape. Because I had my own personal styling session done for my birthday when I was 25 and it completely transformed my relationship with my body and you know that was very deep rooted for me in trauma and shame as a child and some some trauma associated at that particular age and, and that's when all these kind of jigsaw puzzles kind of started to come together where I was thinking right I'm using money I'm giving my power away to money to feel better about myself and and that's why I'm a massive believer in when I teach people about growing wealth it's about focusing on their self-worth before their net worth. So do you think that people need to understand where their limiting beliefs come from in order to solve them or it doesn't matter where it's come from, you've got it, here's what you need to do to kind of resolve it? Yeah, so in, in order to change our, our narratives, the stories that we tell ourselves, we first of all have to pay curiosity to what they are. And so you know, to, in order to let go of some of those money narratives, some of those money narratives can support us like if you take that example that you were sharing earlier about like money doesn't grow on trees, that can be really supportive because it, it means that you might just be a really good hard worker. Now, I'm a big believer in actually paying attention to what are the benefits of holding on to that story. If you continue to hold on to that belief, what would be possible for you? But also what would be possible for you if you let that go and you pass that back back with love and kindness and gratitude to whoever it was that gave you that belief that you have to work hard to make money. Maybe you experienced that from parents, your, maybe your father was a hard worker or your mum was a hard worker. So it's kind of taking all the goodness from what that belief has given you, but also then thinking about actually what would be possible if I was to just let that go. And in order to create a new narrative, a new story, we have to get inside that new narrative first. We have to experience that new narrative. And, and it's it's what stretches that comfort zone. So if you're sitting here listening to thinking, yeah, I don't want to keep working hard for money. I want to make things easier. Mm. We have to be able to live an evidence to the brain that that's even possible first before we can let the old narrative go. Um, and that's why paying curiosity to what you're saying about money you know, I am not worthy, I'm not good with money, I can't possibly do this. You know, when we when we say something, I am, and we finish that with something, that is connecting our sense of self with money. So if you hear yourself saying, I have to work hard with money, I'm not good with money, you're connecting your whole sense of self 
with money. And that's what we need to try and detach. We need to detach our self-worth with money because the more money we have doesn't make doesn't make us better people, doesn't make us it doesn't make us greedy, it doesn't make us better. It's what the purpose that we're giving to money that makes the difference to who we are as human beings, right? It's the value that we give, how we show up. You're absolutely right, because we work with a lot of people um, who obviously have their own business because they're our ideal clients. Um, And without exception, we're always saying to them, you need to up your prices because they're not charging enough. And that has all to do with their self-worth, isn't it? And and, um, what they think their their time is worth and their products and what have you um, to sell to others. And it's almost like um, they're ashamed to put their prices up or they're embarrassed to say, well, it's going to be this much or or what have you. And getting over that block is monumental for their business. Telling friends and family no like there's no mates rates there's no you know it yeah. it's the same price or more if you're yeah. it's yeah. I love the way that you're encouraging that I think that the challenge is that when we hear someone say like just increase your prices mm. you're worth more than that like don't give away discounts and freebies part of there's a part of us that's like I really want to believe that this is possible that I can do this but there's another big part of us where that the way that the brain works is that the brain will always look for evidence to support your beliefs and your beliefs come from your thoughts. So if your thoughts have been governed by 20 years of, of being surrounded by people always working hard for money, then when that brain hears that information from a coach or a mentor, like just up your prices, just, up, just increase your prices, like don't give away your time for free. They want to believe it, but they physically can't because the brain, the brain's taking that information and, and it's looking back at all the previous information that it's received. It's like a filing cabinet and it's going back through those files and thinking, no, it doesn't fit in there. It doesn't fit in there. It doesn't fit in there because it's not familiar to the brain. So it rejects it because the brain doesn't know how to differentiate between fact and fiction. This is where neuroscience is really interesting. We have to we have to give the brain information to believe that it's true. And the only way to do that is by reconnecting in with the narratives, the stories and the language that we're using ourselves. It's all perception, isn't it? Because what we say is that by not charging the right amount of money, people will perceive your product or service to not be great because it's too cheap. And so that's, you know, if we look at something, for example, a wedding photographer, you know, are you going to choose a wedding photographer that's £10 or one that's £1,000 because it's your big day or, you know, we're not having them anymore, but, you know, if it was. Um, And so actually you can be too cheap and it makes people think you're not good. And so that it's it's almost not it's not about what you're worth. It's about how you want people to perceive, you know, what you're and people believe in their business. They're not, you know, on the whole, they're offering fantastic things. They just need people to see that. And price is one way to see that, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really good point. I think there's a lot mm. of, um, you know, marketing. Um, I, I guess you guys talk about this a lot in terms of your, you know, your value ladder. You know, if if you ever feel uncomfortable about charging for your services, the the two things I would say, one is to get curious to what you're telling yourself about money. It's that awareness stage. And what are the patterns and beliefs that you're telling yourself? Um, and the second thing then is to, if you ever feel uncomfortable, just give more value. Because, and I don't mean for free or giving away time, but let's say, for example, you're launching a course and you're feeling really uncomfortable about charging a thousand pounds for that course. Just add more value to the course to stretch your comfort zone because actually in order to feel more deserving we have to stretch our financial comfort zone 
And in order to stretch the financial compass, we have to do things that we've never done before in order to make that the new narrative, the new story. So I'm a big believer in if, 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 if anything ever feels uncomfortable, just check in with yourself. Why does that feel uncomfortable? Um, and I, I also believe that we should never do anything that doesn't feel on purpose, like just because everybody else is doing it. Like, especially in marketing, like everyone's like, oh, this person's really successful because they're doing this. I'm going to go and do this. And, and they just doesn't feel on purpose, but like we're acting in purpose. So whenever you feel an incongruence in relationship to money, just check in with yourself. Where is that incongruence? What, what message is that incongruent with? And, and also physically, where do you feel that incongruency? Because when we talk about money, most people will feel that like um, physically in their body, that they'll feel it in their chest, they'll feel a tightening of their chest, or they'll feel it in the, you know, the pit of their stomach, they'll just feel physically sick when they have to have a conversation about money. And I think just to pay attention to the, like, the visceral aspect of money, like it's, it's a very physical reaction because of all the emotions that sit around this kind of conversation. So just pay some curiosity and, and send some love to that part of your body where you're feeling that ickiness. You know, mm. if it, I, I get it in my throat. Whenever I'm nervous about something or I'm feeling really uncomfortable, it's almost like my throat just completely blocks, yeah. which is one of the main chakras to the body. And if I block that part of me, it, it, it's like the emotional tunnel that Brené Brown talks about. You're blocking that emotional tunnel. So you're stopping the flow. And money does have to flow. Yeah. The, going back to the whole giving and receiving, we need to allow money to flow. We need to allow, allow money to flow for the economy. So when you were in that like sort of state where you were just like literally back working in the bank, earning money and spending and getting slowly more and more into debt, like and you had that kind of light bulb moment, what were the first sort of um, steps that you took to um, changing that for yourself then? Yeah, great question. The first thing I did was to um, to do some of this work around my narratives and what was my relationship with like with money. And and actually, even on podcast interviews that I go on, I it's, it's almost like every day something new appears, like some new information comes up to me. I was on a an episode yesterday, and I remember when my my nan used to give me pocket money when I was about seven or eight. And when she gave it to me, she'd give it to me, and, and she'd say, "Don't spend it all at once." And I was thinking about this yesterday and thinking, what message did that give me as a seven-year-old child that don't spend it all at once is about protecting, you know, going into like hoarding that money and it not feeling safe to spend that money. Um, so that was really curious. So the first, that was the first step was about just bringing some curiosity to my relationship with money. We've actually got a free tool that we've created in our business, which is just a free quiz that you can go and take, which can help you to understand what some of those messages might look like for you. Um, which if you go to our website, uh, katherinemorgan.com forward slash quiz, you can, you can. We can put the link in the show notes. Thank you. Um, but that was the first stage. And then the second thing was then what I call get financially naked. So this was all about actually really understanding my numbers and giving every pound purpose. So this is a really simple exercise that you can do. And, and when I say it's a simple exercise, for some people, this, this can trigger a lot of emotions. Even the thought of opening bank statements can be absolutely petrifying. For a time, I never even, I used to get the, the, anything that came through the door, I would just like shove it in the corner in the hallway, like literally. That's bad, Anna. It would have been a letter from the Queen asking me to go to Booking Palace, <laughs> and I wouldn't have seen it. No, 
<laughs> I'm just going to shove it in the corner. Yeah. And now Anna is in charge of the Get Savvy Club finances. She does it all. So you've come full circle. But I think sometimes you need to get really bad at something to then, like, yeah. Yeah. realise things, you know. I haven't got through that stage. Yeah. I think there's <laughs> a difference there between, like, leveraging and outsourcing stuff that like your bookkeeping for example like that's a great example of just leverage it out somebody else who loves that stuff so you don't have yeah. to do it yourself um but very much with with money i think it's about having a relationship with money like it was a friend you know how do you treat money are you are you treating money like it's an enemy like you're not paying any attention to it at all you're not looking at it at all which is what was happening for me in my 20s i wasn't giving it any attention um i was much more comfortable to to give money than I was to receive. Um, but the Get Financially Naked is it, just a really fun, hence why we call it Get Financially Naked. Like it's a really fun way of just being able to just bring some curiosity to what you're currently spending and how does it align in with your financial vision and your financial future. Um, and when I did this exercise, I realized I was spending a lot of money on clothes. <laughs> I was also spending a lot of money on like Amazon. And just just those two things, just that, that awareness, I started to reallocate that money to other purposes. So I would maybe take the £350 a month I was spending on Amazon and redirect that into a pot, which might be a retreat pot for myself to go and take myself off somewhere, you know, on like an eat, pray, love retreat. Or maybe I'd redirect that to a holiday fund so I could go and have more experiences rather than having things. And just that consciousness, that awareness of my behaviours around money in a nice, gentle, you know, loving way was really helpful. You weren't dramatic. You didn't just like stand up and cut all your credit cards up and, you know, sell all your stuff or anything like that. It's just, I I think people sometimes believe or think that, oh, they need to get to this day where they are going to just completely change. But you're not saying that. You're saying just like, slowly but surely like like being aware of what's happening and shifting little things um over a course of time is probably better than just dramatically telling yourself you're never going to spend anything on anything ever again and getting rid of all lines of credit and just living off of taking sandwiches into work every day (laughs) it never works right it's this we talk on the podcast um about small steps big wins Mm. it's the little steps of imperfection that you know compounded over time make the biggest impact and you know, yes, sometimes it can work to almost go, you know, have like a dry January and, you know, like no drinking, no spending. That can work for some people, but we often find that it's very short lived because we haven't done the deep work that's associated with actually changing our relationship. And you're just work. waiting for the 1st of February to continue how you were before. So I always think that about people because I haven't drank for 11 years. So I always think that when dry January comes up, I always think it's probably the worst thing you can do, actually, because you're going to be living. I mean, in this mum's whatsapp group they're always like some of them are trying to do dry january and like oh home's calling at the same time as dry january it's not going to work out for me and a lot of them quit but um it's that kind of like actually you just wait until the 31st of january and then it can be the first of february and then you're probably going to be even worse than you were um at the start of the year so i I never sort of think that's a that's a great idea so what is a healthy relationship with money then because you have to spend money and um buying things to cheer yourself up or treat yourself is also very being kind to yourself but what does a healthy relationship with money look like i really believe a healthy relationship with money is about having that balance to feel comfortable to give and to receive it's those two things because when we have an imbalance of one of those two things then that's when we tend to self-sabotage and we either self-sabotage where we overgive and don't give enough back to ourselves or the counter opposite where we don't give enough um 
in, in terms of how we feel about money. We don't give enough value. So may, then maybe we hold back on some of our gifts and wisdom because we've just got this deep sense of fear of not enoughness. Um, and I think that the, the fear topic and conversation around money is if we can remove some of those fears and just be comfortable to feel like we we are enough and we have enough, then our well-being is strong and our financial situation is strong because we can be in a position where we're coming at money, where we're not giving money all of the power. We're actually thinking about what's the real true value of money? You know, what's the real purpose? What is the reason why we want to receive this money in the first place? What does that enable us to do um, in our own lives and in order to help others? And But it's where we get this imbalance of power that can then cause um, difficulties. And one of the biggest areas that um, I feel really passionate about is in terms of financial independence and codependence around money. And particularly for women, you know, women can be trapped financially in abusive relationships because they 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 haven't understood about the importance about being financially independent, not codependent. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean having money all in your name and and not in joint names. But I'm a big believer in, you know, we, we know that 90, not over 90 percent of domestic violence is caused by financial abuse. Yeah. And I think just being able to talk about these conversations going back to your, your question my love was about you know how do we have a healthy relationship we need to be really open and honest and have these kind of conversations because there are so many women who don't feel good enough around money um, and therefore can be you know potentially if you think about worst case scenario can be trapped in relationships it's funny before I um, got married to my first husband um, a lady I worked with who had been happily married for like 20 30 years and um and she just said to me always have a fuck off fund and I went what and she went always have a fund so if you want to fuck off you can fuck off and I just thought well I don't need that that's ridiculous and you know just 10 years later got divorced I called it the SFF secret female fund so I always used to tell all my friends make sure you've got an SFF and um yeah I won't go into the some of the stories because some fairy people listening in but yeah um a lot of the a lot of my friends didn't have one and when I said you need to have an SFF and it sounds really sneaky and stuff but you really do. Um, mm, it's great advice, and I didn't take it. And you know, a few of my friends have got out of scrapes and things because they've had that there, which they wouldn't have thought to have. Because uh, unfortunately, in our society, we you bring children up to play well, but girls to play with dolls and, and dream about the happy marriage and how, how we're all going to live happily ever after. I never uh, enjoyed them fairy tale stories. I was out with the lads playing um, with my tractor, but a lot of women <laughs> did do did have those uh, narratives poured into their heads and believe them and think, well, I'm in love with this guy and I'm going to get married and it's happily ever after. And I don't need to worry about the money side of things. But it, it's so so important to protect, you know, protect it. You're protecting everyone um, from doing it as well, you know, in the process as well to be just in charge of your own money. And even the strongest people end up where they don't have the money because of circumstances, having kids, different things happening. And then it, I know you said don't use the word trap, but it, literally you are trapped. You, you're trapped in that position. And it's it's harder hard to get out if you haven't got the money to, to be able to get out. And yeah, it's, so I think if we can get people thinking about things before, all the way through their marriages, relationships, whatever, just to, because yeah, your power is given away, isn't it? If you're letting somebody else completely be, and even successful women often, they earn all this money and then they let the guy go and speak to the financial advisor and decide what they're doing with their money in the longer term and things instead of 
actually thinking, no, I want to um, know what's happening with that because ultimately I made that money and it's our money or whatever. And I think, yeah, more and more, but it is changing definitely, but it is mm-hmm. still got a long way to go, definitely. So we, um, thanks for having, thanks for coming on to the podcast, Catherine. We always ask two questions at the end of the interview. And the first question is, what makes you savvy? So we're the Get Savvy Club. What makes you savvy? And you can take that any way you want. Yeah, interesting. So when I think about the word savvy, actually, one of my clients has a business called Savvy Peacocks. And when I think about savvy, it's almost like having, like, I'm very visual. So I think about, like, um, different parts of me that I, that I, how, how can I show up to be the best version of myself? About, you know, being savvy is about kind of being, clever with my time working in collaboration with other people so not you know not just being by myself um I think that's really important in business because business can be quite a lonely place um so I'm a massive believer in working you know with other people being supported by others you know surrounding yourself by people who are going to raise you up um but also to collaborate with other people as well because you know there's much more power isn't there in collectively coming together than there is by doing something by yourself so collaboration over competition so to speak so yeah I guess when I think of savvy I think about um how can we as a community come together with our talent and our expertise and skills to to serve more people the other question we also ask is for a recommendation for a book so it could be a development book or um, a business book or anything that you think has helped you so many books so yeah it's a difficult one isn't it (laughs) um okay so the one book I would recommend for your listeners uh around marketing is a book by Daniel Priestley and it's called uh key person of influence and this was one of the books that my very first mentor that I worked with sent to me to read when I first started working in business and what Daniel Priestley talks about there is about how do you promote your personal brands um in order to maximize your reach and your visibility you know it's about your products your ecosystems the the value that you're creating every single facebook live podcast episode blog that you write webinar that you run is an asset and every yeah. piece of asset that you're creating is strengthening your personal brands so yeah that would be my that would be great a great book isn't it i, I was on a clubhouse the the other week and he was he was in a room talking and it was it was brilliant I've listened to it for a, a few hours some people were asking some people not asking brilliant questions <laughs> some people asking really brilliant questions of him like um and and he was just answering and getting through but it's quite frustrating on Clubhouse because sometimes people have an opportunity to answer a question and instead of asking a question they instead decide to go th- talk through the whole backstory and this and it's like ask the question you've got Daniel Friedley there to answer something that's relevant to your business so then you're not but I didn't realize as well he's done a book about um co-wrote a book with um a lady about um helping your children become more entrepreneurial so it's not yeah, about it's not a, have you read it I've yeah. not got it. I'm, I'm going to get it, but I, hadn't, I didn't realize he'd done that until I listened to that, and I thought I'm going to get that. And then he was saying it's not about telling them to start a business, but it's just making them more aware of. Because um, I, I do always say this to the kids, actually. Like, I, if whatever, if somebody's doing a job, I go, "Oh, hey, look, 
that's their job what do you think about that job would you like that job or or how do you think this this product came about and and you know getting them to think about the whole mechanics behind it and how it was once somebody's just idea and then the you know how all the marketing comes together so yeah it sounds like a really cool book so we can check that out so thank you so much we will be giving away um uh, we always give away the book recommendation so um that's an easy we, we've panicked sometimes that somebody's going to tell us a book that's no longer in print and then we won't be able to get it but usually we can just literally send people um the audible version of whatever book it is if they if they don't want the physical book so thank you so much for coming on so we will put in the show notes obviously your quiz and um how people can get in touch with you is that your pre preferred method of people if they're listening to this and they want to reach out to find more where's the best place for them to go to that quiz or yeah i think i mean we're obviously on all social media platforms we have our award-winning podcast in her financial shoes so you can come and check us out over there but yeah if you're wanting to kind of take the next small step in understanding your relationship with money then the quiz is a great place to start because we'll actually send you three tips specifically around your relationship with money to get you started. If you're enjoying Marketing Made Easy, the podcast from Get Savvy Club, use your podcast app to rate, review and subscribe. Awesome. So that was Catherine Morgan. Um, go and check out her quiz. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, it's a really interesting topic, actually, isn't it? And we have got Denise Duffield-Thomas coming up in a few weeks' time as well. So if you if you haven't heard of her, look out for that one because she's a fantastic um, lady to listen to around money mindset and whatnot. And it's great to listen to lots of different people's opinions on it all isn't it? yeah definitely and find your path and what you know yeah. what resonates and what helps you the most um if especially if you're if you know you've i mean i think even the most successful people still have blocks around money and even people that are great at money still you know catherine mentioned in the podcast that she's still learning things like she she thought about her grandma and how she used to say don't spend it all at once when she gave her pocket money and things so what messages does that give us and things are things are being uncovered all the while so it's something that you kind of always have to work on no matter what level we get to in our businesses so if you would like to it's a great book that Catherine recommended by Daniel Priestley so if you would like to win that please screenshot this podcast and tag yourselves and us in any social media platform so Instagram LinkedIn even Twitter if you like and think about your prices and are you charging enough yes have a, have a good think about your prices too excellent and we'll see you on Thursday no doubt for a Get Savvy Quickie see you soon bye that was Marketing Made Easy the podcast from Get Savvy Club if you enjoyed it join our Facebook group. Just search Get Savvy Club.